Well, good morning to you all, and what a gorgeous morning it is as well. What a privilege to be able to come into the house of God again today. I just want to start with a few verses from uh, Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare and in his temple all cry glory. Well, isn't it God's voice that we want to hear this morning? Um, So let us commit our time to him and ask him that we might hear him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this brand new day, this bright sunny day. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here this morning. And as we start our worship, we want to hear your voice today, Lord, speaking to us. And that, Lord, we pray our hearts might be ready to respond to your voice. And that, like Samuel, we might be able to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So come, we pray, Lord, and make this whole service about you. May we be able to worship with a full and thankful heart for all of your blessings towards us. And may, from this service, may we go away changed by your word. And may you have all the honour and all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first reading this morning is taken from uh, Paul's epistle to the Philippians and chapter 2. We're going to read from verses 5 to 11. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, that reading uh, leads us nicely into our first song, which is, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him King of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. Let's stand and worship with our first hymn.
great to see lots of you children here this morning. And Mark has got children's talk. Um, but before that, we can have our prayer. So let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll have the children's talk. Great and heavenly Father, we bow our knee before you this morning. And uh, Lord, we, we come knowing that you are the one true living God, the God who is able to hear and answer our prayers. And that brings real joy to our hearts because, Lord, we know, when we know a little of ourselves, we know that we are lost and broken, but we thank you that, Lord, we are not without hope and that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with you. And, Lord, as we come and bow ourselves before you this morning, we pray for a softening of our hearts. We pray, Lord, that your blessing might be upon us, that your spirit might be in this building with us, teaching us, revealing you to us, and, Lord, teaching us about ourselves as well. And we pray, Lord, that whatever way that we come in, that we'll go out more refined and with things to think about, things to make us consider our ways. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is so rich and that we keep on learning it from the day we're born until the day we die, Lord. We'll keep on learning from your word. And we pray that you will deepen your work in our hearts and lives, that, Lord, our knowledge of Jesus Christ might increase day to day. And we pray, Lord, for humility in our hearts, that we might, that we might uh, lay down our own uh, um, desires and will and commit all of our way to you and gladly follow the will of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for each of us in our lives. And although sometimes it's hard to see the way, we thank you, Lord, that you lead us on like the good shepherd that you are. We thank you that your way is clear and that, Lord, your, that your love is uh, full of forgiveness and that when we make mistakes, that, Lord, you are ready to forgive if we confess our sins before you. So we pray, Lord, that however, whatever stage of life we're in, whether we're, at, whether we're at home or at school, at work, at college, university, Lord, wherever we are, we thank you, Lord, that you are there and that you understand what we're going through and that there is nothing too hard for you to break down and uh, make clear for us. And we pray that in everything, Lord, all these things might be moulding and shaping us to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray that every day we will be made more like him. And as John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. We pray, Lord, that you will fill our hearts with your love, that you will soften us and bless us and, uh, and, and make us more like you. And Lord, in the way that we behave and conduct ourselves day to day, may we be a shining light to those who don't know you. May we be a reflection of the God that people don't want to know. And Lord, now as we, uh, as we uh, have this time of worship together, we want to thank you for this time, Lord. Because Lord, this is something that not everyone gets to do. Not all believers around the world have got the freedom that we've got this morning. And although sometimes our attitude towards coming is just because it's Sunday, oh Lord, we pray that you will change that even today. And that our greatest desire might be to come and know and worship the living God. And Lord, you've You've made it perfectly clear in your word that you are the way, the truth and the life. And there is no other way, Lord. You are the door and we have to go through the door. And, but we thank you, Lord, that that door is accessible to those that confess their sins. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't confessed their sins before you, hasn't entered through the door, oh, make it possible, we pray, Lord. Uh, please break down stubborn hearts and stubborn wills and may, uh, and may we take great pleasure in taking up our cross and following after Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the privileges that we enjoy day to day. Lord, we live in a beautiful part of the world. We've got a, a great corner of the country down here, Lord, not far from the coast and the forest and all the blessings that we have, Lord. And we don't have to go far to see a great view and be reminded of your wonderful creation. And we praise you for it, Lord, to think that you are so powerful and mighty that you can create the entire world and rule it, and yet you still care about us and the little things that concern us, maybe that little work problem or the, the problem we've got with our friend. Lord, you still care, and we thank you for that. And we lay all of our burdens and concerns down at your feet this morning and pray, Lord, that we will be given the grace to just commit it to you and leave it there. But Lord, we're all walking through different paths with different trials and, uh, and things, but you know them all. You know all of us, Lord, and you've got a plan worked out for us, and it brings great joy and comfort to know that you are in control, no matter how difficult the circumstances we're facing, no matter how difficult the decisions that we've got to make. Lord, you know, 
And we pray that you will take away from our hearts all the things that stop us from worshipping and serving you day to day. We pray, Lord, that the, the idols that we have, and maybe that's friends or business or family, whatever it is, Lord, take those idols down and may you be the number one in our lives and our hearts. And may our greatest desire as we get up every morning be to serve and to praise you. So, Lord, we commit all these things to you now. We pray for your blessing upon all the ministers of this church too. We are so pleased, Lord, that um, Sunday School was uh, uh, up and running again this morning, Lord. We're so pleased to be back. And it's so heartwarming to see so many children coming to hear the word of God um, spoken to them week to week. And we pray, Lord, that it, it won't be without fruit and that you will come and you'll bless and change those little hearts while they're young. As you took the children onto your knee, Lord, when, you were here, when Jesus was here on earth below, and, Lord, you took the children and, and you loved them and you had time for them. Uh, we pray, Lord, that will be the same today, for you haven't changed. And, uh, Lord, we commit these little ones to you and we pray for your blessing on them. And that from a young age they might have the fear of God in their hearts. We thank you for the teaching team. Lord, we thank you for um, all those who take um, uh, the, the varying youth groups and Bible studies and all the, uh, the ministries and then for the, uh, the older folk as well. Lord, we thank you for it. And we pray that all this might be done with, with that common goal and to honour you. So, Lord, we commit everything into your hands. We thank you that you care enough to hear our prayers this morning and we pray that we might see answers to them. Please come and bless us as we hear your word. And, Lord, it, as I've already said, it's your voice we want to hear. Lord, and as, as John speaks to us shortly from your word, open our hearts and our ears, Lord, and help us to hear you and, uh, and, and, and to believe what we are hearing. So, Lord, we commit all these things to you now and pray for your blessing upon our service. Uh, we ask all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to you, Mark. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone, and especially children. As Luke said, there's a good number this morning. I can see some of you up in the gallery as well. You enjoying the sun? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? So, tell me, what's so good... Have a think in your minds. What's so good about the sun? Have a little think. What's so good? Just think in your heads. What's so good? I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. What's so good? Well, I think there's a few things. I think it makes things more, uh, look more beautiful, don't you? So if you go down to the beach and it's sunny, oh, it looks beautiful, doesn't it? Especially if you've got a nice bit of coast or a nice bit of beach. Oh, it looks lovely. Maybe a sunset or a sunrise. Wow. What about this? It makes us warm as well, doesn't it? So lots of you are in your shorts and your t-shirts today. It makes you warm, doesn't it? Can you think about how cold the world would be if there was no sun? I don't think we'd live for very long, would we? What else? I think it makes people happier. Don't you? There's a lot of chatter going on this morning. People are happier. It lifts our mood, doesn't it? It makes us feel better. And it also helps things grow, doesn't it? So trees and plants and grass helps them grow. But... The sun is really good, but we have to be careful, don't we, with the sun? Why do we have to be careful? And this time I'm going to ask for answers. Yes, yes. You can get burnt. Yeah, absolutely, you can get burnt. And maybe some of you have, if you've been silly like me. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, you can get sunstroke. If you don't drink enough and you don't look after yourself, yeah, you get poorly if you're out in the hot sun too much. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. And that's a really good point. If you got too close to the sun, you would die, wouldn't you? Because it's a good thing, isn't it? But it's also dangerous. So we have to be careful, don't we? So it might be that you see people walking around with things like this on. Now, some of you don't need them so much because you've got lovely, thick hair. But others of us are needing them more and more. So people wear hats. Maybe you've seen people wear these. Or what about this? People have things like this, don't they? So they have their sunglasses and they put them on. Oh, it's gone a bit darker. They put them on because they want to protect their eyes because the sun's so bright, isn't it? It's really bright, so we protect our eyes. And of course, also we use this. This will help with the problem that Jess was saying about getting burnt. And it's got a number on it. This says 30. So this is going to protect me pretty well from the sun. It can get even more. It can go to 50, and that's a bit like putting Tipex on. That will really look after you. Okay, so we need sunscreen, don't we, to protect us in the sun. It means we can be in the sun for longer. And, you know, 
in some ways, God is a bit like the sun. Because God is really good. He's wonderful. He's amazing. We need him. But we need to be careful as well. Do you know, in Revelation it says, his face is like the sun shining when it's at its brightest. So imagine a really hot day when the sun's shining and you have to almost close your eyes because it's so bright. That's what God's face is like. Now, here's a question for you. What creature has six wings? What creature has six wings? Mm. Well, I'm going to give you a clue. You're not going to find it in a zoo. Probably not anyway, unless it's some sort of insect. It's actually a type of angel. There you go. It's called, have any of you heard of a seraphim? Seraphim? No, not many of you. Well, listen to what it says. It says, there were some seraphim. This is in the book of Isaiah. Each had six wings. With two, they cover their face. So they cover their face. With two wings, they cover their feet. And with two wings, they fly. And their job is to worship God. And listen to what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So just like the sun lights up the whole world, so God's glory fills up the earth. But do you know why the seraphim have to cover their faces? Because even though they're angels... God is so good and so powerful and so wonderful that they can't look at him. So they have to be protected. So how on earth are we, as people who have done wrong things, going to get anywhere near God? If even angels can't look at him? Well, we don't use sun cream. Sun cream isn't going to help us get near to God. We don't need to cover ourselves in this. But do you know what we do need? What we do need is Jesus' blood. That sounds a bit funny, doesn't it? But what it means is Jesus' death on the cross. That protects us when we go near to God. So just like sun cream protects us in the sun, so Jesus' blood, Jesus' death, protects us and means we can go near to God. And I think, That's pretty amazing, because that's the story of the Bible. So, thank you. You've listened really well this morning. So, thank you, and I'm going to hand over to Luke. Thanks very much, Mark. Great reminder for all of us, I think, whatever our age. Um, Today we're continuing our series in Luke. Uh, So, two weeks ago, John preached on mercy to the lowest, and that was in uh, Luke chapter 19. And we're going to continue there, um, but we're going to start um, in, at verse 11, and we're going to read from verse 11 through to the end of 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants, to whom he had given the money, to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. First came before him, saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man, You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. 
And he said to those who stood by, Take the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Well, before John comes and preaches on those, uh, those verses, we're going to stand uh, for one more song. And we're going to be singing, Rejoicing in hope, we wait for our King. His coming is sure, His conquest we sing. His hour of returning draws daily more near. With hearts hushed and burning, we see Him appear. Let's stand. Things don't always run to our immediate uh, timescales, do they? Uh, Del Ralph Davis reminds us of uh, the German Kaiser who on, in August 1914 told departing troops, you will be home before the leaves have fallen off the trees. And so started the four-year First World War. True of the virus as well, isn't it? On 19th of March uh, last year, our Prime Minister talked about turning the tide in 12 weeks. And here we are, uh, one year on, hoping that perhaps the turn of the tide has occurred. 
Sometimes we expect things to be wrapped up in no time. We expect a, a quick fix. And um, this uh, was the attitude of some as Jesus approached Jerusalem. Uh, there was a, an electric sense of uh, expectation and anticipation and that would be further inflamed with the triumphal entry that we'll look at probably next week. Some are expecting the kingdom of God in all its fullness to occur very soon. That combined with the, the misunderstanding they had that the Messiah would overthrow the Roman occupation and give immediate political freedom. So it was to this situation that Jesus tells another story, another parable. We're in Luke 19, verse 11 sets the scene. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. It's generally called the parable of the ten minas or the ten minas or more Greek minas. I don't know which way you say it. Not quite sure what's going to come out of my mouth. It doesn't really matter. In many ways, I think the parable is better called the parable of the returning king. I think that covers a bit more all of what it's about, the parable of the returning king. And it will speak into the phase which we ourselves find ourselves in. We live in a, a period between the, what's sometimes called the already and the not yet, the already and the not yet. We saw this when, when Mark took us through um, chapter 17 of Luke. There is an already. Uh, the king has come. Uh, the kingdom of God has begun. He is at work in people's hearts. The kingdom is within you. He's saving people like he just has done Zacchaeus. The kingdom has come. And Jesus would soon be going to the cross to achieve and accomplish salvation. The kingdom has come. There is an already. But there is also a not yet. We're in this sort of in-between period. There seems so much, doesn't there, which is unfinished. Uh, life is still so hard. There are so many difficulties. There is so much pain. There is so much grief. We want to see Jesus as the visible king. We want to be in paradise. We want to see the new creation established. We want to see justice done. We live in this patch between the already, kingdom begun, and the not yet. Not the kingdom finalised, fully declared, finally fully enjoyed. And the delay can be hard. The time in between can be hard can be a strain to, to keep going and it can especially be a strain if we've got the wrong expectations, if we haven't got our mindset right about where we are at. And this, this parable, this story would help them get their bearings right, correct some misunderstandings and this parable will help us get our bearings right and correct some of our misunderstandings. Now the story involves an important figure, or a nobleman as he's called, and he's going to be made king. And the appointment is going to be happen, happening a long way away in, a, in another country, in a distant country. And the story charts uh, what he does as he leaves, and then what he does as he returns. Verse 12 sets the scene for the story itself. He said, therefore... A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And the story would have rung a bell with the people that Jesus was speaking to. Uh, there were different Herods of that period. You've heard of the Herods, probably, in the New Testament, who were kind of kings over the region. Um, and when they were appointed to that position, they had to go to Rome, because it was the Roman Empire, to actually officially get that appointment and come back to then live it out. So they travelled hundreds of miles 
and they've gone quite a long time in order to receive their kingship before travelling back and being king over the lands. So they would have had this in mind which makes some connections with the story that we're looking at. And as we look at this story we see really that there are two main phases if you like in the story and we're going to take each one and then under each I'm going to select a few Bible phrases to highlight which will help us think about the main lessons and how it's relevant to us. So here's the first. The first part, the first phase is uh, waiting time. Uh, A waiting time, the waiting time of business and rejection. The waiting time of business and rejection. We're in verses 13 and 14 here. So the the nobleman in the story is going to head off to be made king. And he's going to be gone for a long time. Uh, Jesus says that he will clearly be established and seen as king. But that won't be properly, fully done in the next week or two in Jerusalem. Despite all the commotion of Palm Sunday that we look at, Jesus' establishment fully, finally declared as king is not going to occur just there. No, Jesus would be crucified. He would wear the crown of thorns as king. He would be resurrected. All authority in heaven and earth will be given to him after his resurrection, it says in Matthew. He would then be ascended into glory and the Bible talks about him being enthroned alongside his father, received with honour because of what he has accomplished. But he is still away, awaiting to return. Crucifixion, resurrection, Ascension, enthronement are often the four parts of the chain that the uh, Bible books talk about as they bring together the Bible's teaching. That's why we looked at Philippians 2 at the start and sang or listened to a song on it. Now, while in the story, while the king is away, there's, there's two main things that happen and they're both relevant to uh, our period while Jesus is ascended, enthroned in glory, awaiting to return. The nobleman calls uh, ten of his servants and he gives them each a silver coin, a a minna. Uh, That's about three months' wages, three months' labourers' wages. So, that's a good sum, isn't it? I suppose you might say it's equivalent to a few thousand today if you're difficult to make the salaries compare. But yeah, it's, it's a good sum. But it's not, it's not masses, uh, especially for somebody who's a, a royal heir. It's not necessarily masses. It's, it's not like, you know, that Jesus told another story, the parable of the talents, told that a few days later. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, a talent was worth um, 60 times a minute, apparently. So you were talking about masses of money there and different amounts were given to the different servants, but here, no, they're all given a, a minna, which is a good amount. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not the jackpot. Okay. And his words to those servants are, um, I think, quite striking for us. Here they are. Have a look at this. Engage in business until I come. Engage in business until I come. Verse 13, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. So the nobleman, he'd passed on his resources to his servants. They were to be busy on his behalf with what he'd given them and they can invest, and they can do business, and they can trade, and they're they're supposed to be busy, industrious, to make use of what has been entrusted to them. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, the same is true for you. Jesus has gone back to heaven, gone back to glory. He, He will come back, But in the meantime, 
you and I are to engage in business until he comes. You have things. You have money. You have abilities. You have time. You have experiences. You have opportunities. And you're to use them to do business while he's away. Make the most of what's been given to you by him. Use them as he would want you to to use them. And that would be true in your everyday callings, in your work, in your family life, in your community. Engage in business, work on my behalf, use your talents and your abilities till I come. But I think he's especially thinking of the more direct work of the kingdom, if we can call it that. He's just said what he's about. We only need to step back one verse into verse 10 of 19. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission, that was his business, to be saving people for people to come to repentance, come to salvation. It's a further announcing the Gospel Commission as as a a commitment uh, that we should uh, pass on the Gospel and make disciples. So, we are to be using what God has given us in advancing the Gospel in this Period, using what we have, practical, spiritual, mental, financial, time-wise. I heard of a new WhatsApp group this morning. Um, It's called um, TCG, if I can get it right. TCG. Uh, If you've come across TCG, perhaps a few of you have. It's, um, It's the Tables and Chairs for the Gospel group. And there's some people on the group who are involved with setting up things around the place here. And I think it's a great combination. Tables and chairs, practical, using the strength that God has given some people, using the time that those people are able to devote down here to be setting up for the Gospel, you see. Practical things used in the Master's use for the advance of the Kingdom so that children, grown-ups, others can hear the Gospel. T-C-G. I think it fits in well. So we're in this phase, Christians, to be engaged in business until he comes. Do you realise that is the phase that you're in? That's the expectation. The nobleman didn't say, get the deck chairs out and put your feet up until I come. He didn't say, here's the... Here's the keys to the games room. Play yourself silly until I come. Now there's a, there's a place for rest and refreshment. We're thankful for that. When we're unwell, when we're older, we need it more and more. The sun is out, as we've been reminded. Summer is coming and we thank God for the opportunities it's going to give us for rest and refreshment. But the overall banner, if you like, of this phase is engage in business until I come. Are you busy on behalf of the king with what he has given you? What has he given you? Some money. Some time. Some special abilities that you're particularly good at some experiences that he's taken you through, some opportunities or doors that are opening your way. The last couple of weeks I messaged somebody for some prayer points because I was just praying for them and uh, one of the things they said back was, God will help me to use my time well now that I've got more time in the next few weeks. Oh, it's a good attitude, isn't it? Fits in with this. Engage in business until I come. But there's another feature of this period and um, 
That's the reaction of the other citizens in the land and we see that in verse 14. Let me read verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. There it is. We do not want this man to reign over us. Now, this too would have chimed with the people that he was talking to. Um, When Herod the Great, that's the Herod that was around when Jesus was born, when Herod the, the Great died, his kingdom was to be split and his son, Archelaus, was to be made king of Samaria and then the southern area including Jerusalem which was Judea. So to be made king, as we we realise now, he had to head off to Rome where the appointment would be made. But not all his citizens wanted him to be king. He was not a very popular guy, a bit like his father actually. So they sent a delegation, I think it was of 50 people, to Rome at a similar time, maybe even a bit before he got there, really objecting to his appointment. We don't want this person to reign over us. So we see what's in the story here. They could understand what was happening. We will not have this man to reign over us. We object to him being the leader. Now, of course, Jesus was an upright wise, righteous king, unlike Herod's son. But he undeservedly gets this reaction too. There is a, we will not have this man to reign over us. We will not have this man to reign over us. We'll see it worked out in the next couple of weeks when they get to the point where they call out, crucify him, crucify him. They reject God's Son. His own people even will show that they don't want Jesus to be king. But it wasn't just in those couple of weeks, was it? That pattern has carried on across the centuries. Not just in the hundreds or thousands around Jerusalem, but in the thousands and millions across the world. This inner Attitude, an inner attitude of heart. We will will not have this this man to reign over us. Is that your uh, attitude to God's appointed king? We will not have this man to reign over us. And naturally, we go through some rebellious phases in life sometimes. Sometimes there's reasons why we rebel against authority because it's a very bad authority, very unkind authority. But, but sometimes we're, we're rebellious, aren't we? Um, even when perhaps parents are good and wise and kind to us, yet we rebel against it. Or a teacher is a caring teacher when we rebel against them. We think, oh, I'm not going to be bossed around. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make my own decisions, thank you very much. And we can be like that towards God. Or we, like sheep, have gone astray. It says in the Bible, we've turned everyone to his own way. You want me to go that way? Huh, I'm going to go this way. I don't want to have this man to reign over me. I'm not going to have him calling the shots in my life. And if we were to look at your heart, if you like, and if on your heart, a whiteboard on your heart, which writes your, and we write on an attitude which summarises how you feel towards Jesus, what what would be written on that whiteboard of your heart? Would it, might it be this? I will not have this man to reign over me. There's no way that Jesus is going to be in charge of my life. Well, it's a time of business and rejection and that was to make it difficult for the servants. They were surrounded by a good number of people who were rejecting the authority of the king that they were working on behalf of. 
can be difficult for us. Sometimes there's a lot of rejection of Jesus around us, but we, we crack on because we know he's going to be king, because we know he's wise and righteous and compassionate and just, because we feel it's a privilege to serve him, because we love him, because we know we're not on a loser serving the king. So we engage in business until he comes. So that's the the first part of the story, the first phase. But then the second phase is this. Returning time of giving and justice. Return time of giving and justice. I originally had return time of reward and justice, but munching over my breakfast and munching over the sermon, I thought perhaps giving was better nuance than reward maybe. So return, returning time of giving and justice. This is verse 15 to the end. As expected, he returns, the king comes, the nobleman comes back. The Bible is clear, very clear, on most pages in the New Testament, the Bible is very clear of the second coming of Jesus. It may not be as quickly as they thought, some of the people around at that time. It may not have been before the leaves fell off for autumn, to take the Kaiser illustration. It may not be before the 12 weeks were up, to take the virus illustration. But Jesus would return, will return. The King will return. And as he returns as king here in the story, it is to sort things out. Verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The servants and the citizens needed to answer to the rightful king. And and you and I will have to answer to the rightful king. Two or three weeks' time, maybe four, I'm not quite sure. In the evening we get to the phrase in 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Ever think about that? Appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. Giving account for your life, for your service. Imagine being there. Imagine having to speak up for your life. This account this morning, the story, gets us thinking about that prospect. Well, there are three different experiences in the story. Um, The first is to two faithful servants and and this is the, the message to them. Well done, good servant. Well done, good servant. We have that in verses 16 to 19. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Although it had been a difficult waiting time, with perhaps some opposition around, it had been pretty productive One had a a, a thousand percent return, didn't he? Minna produced ten minas. One had five hundred percent return. His minna produced five minas. Pretty good going. The gospel age is an age of growth. As we engage on behalf of the king, uh, we seem to be in a pretty arid area uh, you look at the globe, we're probably supposed to be a very green, uh, uh, vegeta- vegeta- uh, lots of rainfall and lots of growth area on the globe, but spiritually it's not like that. Other areas of the globe are, are very fruitful spiritual and, uh, spiritually, and that is a feature of this period, growth. 
The parable of the sower leads to growth, a hundredfold growth. The king is delighted with these faithful servants. Whatever he might be accused of later in the story, he's clearly a big-hearted and generous guy, isn't he, this nobleman? He's good to his servants. They produce more minners, which as we said before is a, a reasonable amount, a moderate amount, and he gives them as reward, gives them as encouragement, gives them out of his grace, he gives them cities, much more than minners. Have five to have Edinburgh and Sheffield and Brighton and Wellingarden City and Bristol, that's yours, your responsibility, your area for your five minners. And for another ten minners, I won't list off ten more cities, but you can see it's a great, it's a benevolent, big-hearted, generous master. And that should be encouraging for us. Future blessing, what Jesus gives us, a reward if we put it in that term. It's not the only thing that motivates us. We're not sort of mercenary like that, if you like. We're motivated by the love of Christ, by just the, the worthiness of the King. But it is an aspect of our motivation. It's an encouragement. The smile of Christ towards you in your service. His delight in what you're seeking to do for him. You could put a spring in your step, encourage you on your way. Uh, there's a bench outside and uh, it's a bench that was given to a, a, a church leader or the money was collected to a church leader here, servant here for over 40 years. It was uh, Ron Bishop uh, and he was given given that and a little plaque that the church decided to put on it and and they put on a phrase very similar to this, it's actually from the talents parable, it's um, well done good and faithful servant. That's how the church here themselves felt the Lord would be viewing that the industry and the hard work and the effort and the big heartedness and the love and the concern that went into so many years of service. Be encouraged, Christian, if you're a bit worn out, if you're knocked by a bit of um, not being very well received by others, there's a long haul. Be, be encouraged by the smile of your Saviour and the anticipation of his freeness and lavish blessing on you in the future. However, there's another servant. Now, we only hear about three of the servants, don't we? There's ten servants, we hear about three of them. Well, this third servant, and it's a different story. And this is how he's addressed. You wicked servant. You wicked servant. We're in verses 20 to 22 here. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your minna which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servants. He had a totally wrong view of his boss, didn't he? We've seen that um, the nobleman was a big-hearted, generous person towards his servants. This, this man, this third person, if you like, his, his words are really just an excuse, I think, for his own laziness, his lack of love and respect for the nobleman a cover-up for what he has done wrong. And giving account is not going to be an enjoyable business for this person. In fact, the king takes away his minna and gives it to the person who has ten. That strikes you as a bit unfair. Strikes in the story, that's unfair, he's already got ten. Of course, it makes good business sense, doesn't it? If you've got somebody who generates a thousand-fold return, you're a lot better giving a minute to them than somebody who wraps it in his hanky. So it makes some business sense. And it reflects a spiritual 
principle, just to think of it a little bit more as the morning's gone on. You know, we, we're a lot about this R number at the minute, and we're not wanting the R number to go above one because it, it accumulates and there's a sort of exponential growth we want it under. Well, there's a little bit of a picture there spiritually or the other way round. When we use what the Lord gives us, there is accumulation, there is blessing. Blessing leads to blessing, it goes upwards. There's an exponential thing if we use well what God gives us. We use our privileges. But on the contrary, if we waste away the privileges, there's a, a downward trend. It leads to worse and withdrawal and difficulty. And good to be on the upward trend. Use your gifts well. Well, there's a challenge here, isn't there? Maybe we call ourselves servants of the king. But are you about the king's mission? What have you got sort of rolled up in your hanky? What has God given to you that you could use? Have you wrapped up, really, what God has... The things he's given you, have you sort of just wrapped them up and put them in a, a bottom drawer out of the way, shut them. Not being put to good use. We had a family friend, and uh, this was when I was growing up, and he had a Porsche, lovely Porsche. Not many, had, not many people had Porsches in those days. He had a Porsche, red, gleaming, kept in his garage. We never saw it out. He, he had a, well, I say, run around. He had a very nice other car, which used for everything. Well, I don't think I ever saw the Porsche being used. They like that with God's gifts. It's just not put to use. They're tucked away. Your time, your abilities, your your money, your experiences, they're not available for the Lord. They're they're just sort of wrapped up. You don't actually care about his mission. You don't really care much about the Lord. You know, I'm sure you really want him to be king. In fact, the fact that you're called a servant is a little bit of a misnomer, really. It's a false name. That was the second servant. You wicked servant. That's the second main experience. It's a challenge, isn't it, for us? Well, I like stories that have a happy ending, don't you? And we'd like to have had that here as we read the story, but that's not what we get. What about those who rejected the rightful king? What about the rebels? Jesus finishes his story about them with this last phrase, but as for these enemies, but as for these enemies... It's verse 27, the last verse we have. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Well, that's a bit shocking, isn't it? You didn't want it to end like that. Seems hard, doesn't it? And of course it is what would have happened in those days. The rebellions were crushed. There's another connection to the Herod and when he came back and what he did. And to keep a right perspective here, we do need to remember what happens either side here. When we're thinking of Jesus, Jesus was compassionate on the blind man when others didn't want anything to do with him. He went to save uh, greedy, selfish Zacchaeus and turn him around. Salvation was brought to Zacchaeus and that's what Jesus says he was about. Then we come a bit later and we see his concern for Jerusalem that rejects him, we see the the yearning heart of Christ. So we need to keep these in mind uh, as we understand this part of this parable. But at the end of the day, it is teaching a truth that those who oppose God and his rightful king And those who are still opposing despite the time when he's away will be judged when he returns. What happened to those in Jerusalem who rejected Jesus 
in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, so it happens in part there, but it happens at the end of our lives if we reject the Lord, if we won't have him to reign over us, if that's persistently how we live out our lives. The Bible elsewhere talks about, in very serious words, everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And if if you're rebelling against God's authority, against his Son, uh, persistently, and that's the remaining attitude, that's what's on the whiteboard of your heart, and do think again because it won't be a good experience when he returns. So we have four characters in the story, don't we really? The rebellious citizens receiving judgment, be warned. The wasteful servant, be challenged. The faithful servants, be encouraged. And then the returning king himself. Keep him in view, knowing that he will come back and engage in business till he comes. Well, we often end these days with a time to think. I want to do that, just uh, give you a half a minute or so. And maybe you want to pick out one of those five phrases from um, the parable this morning, turn it into a, a prayer relevant to your situation and then I'll close in prayer. Oh Lord, we, we need teaching like this from this um, parable to set our, our bearings. We thank you for all of the already which Jesus has done and accomplished and begun. Help us to realise we are still in a waiting time for what is not yet and which we look forward to. Lord, we do pray that you'd help us to live in the light of that. Help us to be busy about the king's business with joy and love and expectation and industry. Keep us from wasting what we have been given during this period and just squandering it on other things with no concern for the mission of the king. And especially we pray that you would keep us from being in our hearts like those citizens who reject, who will not have this man to reign over us. Keep us from defying and rebelling against the kind, good, wise, authoritative kingship of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.